if you have your Bibles, you can find your way to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. We, we find ourselves here um, this week as we have this series called Meet Jesus, where we're just trying to figure out who Jesus is based on the interactions that we've seen through the Gospel of Luke and now the, the sermons that are preached about Christ and how they describe Him so that we can truly see who Jesus is and truly meet Him. And, and today we're, we're looking at what is um, an interesting spot. It's, it's Acts 13, but this is the first. We've, we've already had Saul and Paul come on the scene, but now we have, um, this is the first recorded sermon that we have of Paul. And, and when we're looking at it today, what we're going to look at is that, that Paul's describing a life that's according to plan. That, that there is a plan. And, and if you think about it, there, there are really two types of people. There, there's people that plan, and, and every part of your life, if you're a planner, is planned, right? Like you have schedules, you have agendas, you, you take notes on every meeting because you want to know. You're like that bullet point person. And then there's some of you that just talking about that just makes your skin crawl, right? That you don't want to be tied down by a schedule because what if something happens, right? That, that really, that there isn't a time for something to start. It's just kind of when you get there, right? I'll, I'll get there when I get there, and it's okay, right? You, you're always maybe running a little late, and if you're, if you're there on time, you're like, I had some time to kill. Like, what was going on here? Because there's some free time in there. So it's not a set plan, but you just kind of go with the flow, and, and really, it's, you could say that's a, a person that, you know, flies by the seat of your pants. You're just kind of going. And then that drives the planners crazy, right? There, there's no, I feel like there's not a true in-between. I'd like to think that I'm a good planner, but in reality, not so much. Or, or, and so it's interesting because when we look at this sermon today, when we read this first part, there, there's some things that jump out to me. And, and we're, gonna, we're not going to read 16 through 52 in one chunk. But we're going we're gonna to cover that much ground. And so when we look at this, just, just ask yourself one, one question as we go through this today. And, and in just a second, as we read this first part of this passage, ask yourself, can you actually submit your control, your efforts, your energy, your life to God? Because how you answer that question determines everything about the Christianity that you claim or the life that you claim to have in Christ. And so, if you will, just follow along. We're going to read the first few verses, 15 or so verses of this, and then we'll, we'll, we'll continue from there. But in Acts 13, starting in verse 16, which if it's, yours might be broken down, that's kind of the last sentence of a paragraph, so don't freak out there. It's just the start to, to get us there. And so in, in Acts 13, 16, it says, So Paul stood up and mentioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And when up, with uplifted arm, He led them out. And for about 40 years, He put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, He gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, He gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and He gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. 
of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior Jesus as He promised before His coming. John proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not He. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which were read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up to with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring to you good news that what God has promised to the fathers, he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. So also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. If you will pray with me and we'll ask the Spirit to guide our time today. Father God, we, we see your Word. God, we read your Word. And sometimes it seems so confusing. And God, I just pray that, that your Spirit would illuminate your truth to us. God, that your Spirit would apply that truth to our hearts. And that your Spirit would... Allow us to know how to live according to your truth. God, that you would give us strength and understanding. I just pray that today as we look at your truth, it would change our lives and that you would be glorified through that change. And so in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so it, it's interesting. And, and what's, what's cool about Paul's sermon, at least cool to me, is that he starts with a history, right? He starts with, a, I just read a long history, right? But, but what I want you to ask yourself real quick, as those verses were going, what, what stuck out to you? And think about what, what stuck out. Is there there's something particular that, that just kind of jumped off the pages at you? And then I want you to kind of make a mental note of that. Because if it's not what I'm about to talk about, then, then today, go back and, and, and seek that. Because so often we think that when we open the truth that, that you're bound by what I pull out of that. And so if it's not that, then I want you to take time. See what God is telling you through that. Because His truth is applied through more than just what we talk about today. And so take note of that. But when I was reading this and, and getting ready for this, we, we set this sermon up series a long time ago. So I, each week I come back to the text that we've got and kind of re um, get acquainted with it. And so, as I was reading this, this first part of this sermon, what jumped out to me is that there was a plan. Right? That, that there was God's plan at work in this. And this is Paul's first sermon that we have recorded. He's, he's talking to the people in Antioch. You need to understand the context. Right? If you, if you come into a conversation and you don't know the context, then everything else is thrown off. Right? Have you ever had that situation where you kind of overhear someone and then you jump in and you're like not even close. And so it's just this awkward, like everyone stares at you and you kind of just kind of fade away. Like you slowly walk or you accidentally 
might have got a text right then, so you just start looking at your phone, and then, right? If we don't see who Paul's talking to, then we're not going to understand why he's drawing out God's plan. And, and he's talking to Jews in a synagogue. He's talking to people of the Bible. He's talking to church people, if you will. And so it makes sense that he pulls out God's plan because he's showing the Jews here that this is something that's happened. And, and three things really jump out about God's plan. And the first thing we understand is that, that God has patience with His people. All right? Look, look at verse, eight, verse 18. And for about 40 years, He, what? he put up with them. Right? You can, if you read the story of the Exodus, you see the, He just put up with them. You can see that. If you're a parent, you've had chances to where you just have to put up with your kids, right? They're like, you've got to be. They're so frustrating, and they're going crazy, and you, just, you really just put up with them. You're still trying to lead them. You're still their parent, but it's frustrating, right? And you kind of see that, and then Paul's like, he, that's the best way to describe the exodus, the people in the wilderness. They're being provided for. They've just witnessed this amazing removal from Egypt. You see the sea parted, and what do they do? They complain, and they whine, and they make other gods, and they just are frustrated. So he puts up with them for about 40 years, right? It's, it's just funny. And, and, but what we see in that is the rebelliousness of Israel, even through all this, not just in the Exodus story, but as he's progressing, as he gives them judges, and then Saul, and then David, the rebelliousness of his people didn't change the plan. The plan was still going forward because we're not the ones that uphold the plan. God is. You can see that all the way if you go back to the covenant given by Abraham. God was the one that walked through the two sides of the sacrifice. God is the one that is upholding His plan. And we have to remember that when we see that He's patient towards us, we realize that it's a plan for all humanity. It's not just a plan for Israel. It's a plan for everyone. And we see that in Acts because last week we talked about it. The gospel is now going to the Gentiles. Right? It's, it's gone to the Gentiles. Peter's already proclaimed that. Now you have Paul. He's still speaking to the Jews, but we realize that God's plan is, is happening. He has patience with them, but it also takes time. Look, look at verse 20. And it took all this, took what? 450 years. And, and, and think about it. Is that, is that hard to grasp? Because we live in a society that says everything is about us. That there's no way that God can be working if we don't see the results now. And here we have God's chosen people. That God's working out His plan for 450 years. His plan transcends us. It's not just about us, no matter what society says. That we can't come into this and think that somehow we can hijack God's plan and turn it about us. It's about Him. He has patience towards us. He accomplishes His plan his, his plan, to put it in, in kind of our context, his plan will continue despite the results of the election in November. Despite what people can and can't do in restrooms. It's not us that upholds that. It's his plan, and it takes another 400 years, then it's God's plan. We're called to be faithful to that. We're called to be faithful to that regardless I read a quote the other day that was talking about seeing fruit in your life in ministry. And, and I forget the exact quote, so I don't, I don't even remember who it was. But it was something along the lines of that, that you might not see fruit on the earth until you're buried in it. Right? So it's not us. It's, it's not us. We have to be willing to understand that God is patient with His plan and so we can be too. 
We also see some amazing things that Paul does that sets up where he's going. If you look at verse 23 and 24, and 23 it says, Of this man's offspring, David, he's talking about King David, of this man's offspring, God has brought Israel a Savior, Jesus. That's the only time he mentions Jesus in this sermon. He says, He gives us the Savior Jesus as He promised before His coming, John, that's John the Baptist, had proclaimed the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And it's important to understand that because those two verses prove Jesus' Messiahship. Because all these people He's talking to, remember He's talking to people that understood the Bible, all these people would have known that the Messiah had to come from the line of David. And he's had to be proclaimed, his coming had to be proclaimed by a prophet. So 23 and 24, Paul's saying, look, Jesus is the one of David's line, and there was a prophet, John, that proclaimed his coming. He is the Messiah. And what we see in that when we're looking at the plan, or God's plan, is that his plan was starting to gain speed. Right? His, his plan was speeding up at the birth of Christ. And then it culminates in the death of Christ and the resurrection we'll talk about in a second. And now it's kind of on cruise control to maintaining until His time to end it. That Jesus is the Messiah because He's of the line of David. Because He was proclaimed by the prophet of God. And these people would understand that. And so should we. We should look back on history and we're the benefit of that, of, of 2,000 years of church history that we can look back and that's gone and gone again. The Orthodox Christian view that Christ is the Messiah. And then at the end of this first section, he, he kind of switches, right? He switches from they to you. He, he all of a sudden gets personal, but, but we need to understand why. And so look at verse 27 with me. It says, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, remember he's talking about their fathers now, for those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize Him, that's Jesus, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, so they've heard them, what they do? They fulfilled them by condemning Him. So it wasn't that they, misunderstood, that they didn't get the message, it's that they misunderstood the message. They didn't understand the message. And it makes me think of that again, what is it called where you... You tell one person something and it just keeps going and it's always screwed up, right? I don't know what it's called, but you telephone, there you go, thank you. Had some audience participation there. But but that's what it is, right? They've they've heard the message, but they didn't understand it. And and what would be a better understanding of this with the game is that everyone actually passed it on the right way and the last person didn't get it. Right? That it didn't make sense. Warren Wiersbe says it this way it's not that they had not read or heard the message of the prophets but because they didn't understand the message. They didn't get it. They misunderstood the message. And what we need to see in that, and to, to bring that into our context now, is that there's plenty of people that have good intentions with the Word of God that misrepresent it, misunderstand it, and misapply it. That just because someone quotes truth doesn't mean that they're actually understanding what it is. And you see that in our society. If you think of anything, if you look at Facebook, there's so many of those pictures that have a Bible verse that means nothing of the original context or the meaning of that verse. But it feels good. These people misunderstood. And so we see the they to you because now we see that they misunderstood it. Now it comes to you. Look at verse 32. This is where we see the change. Well, in verse 31, it says, For many days he appeared after the resurrection and had come from the Galilee to Jerusalem who now are his witnesses to the people. 
So there's people of this message. And then verse 32, we now bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers. So now the same message that they misunderstood, Paul and the witnesses of Christ's resurrection are now bringing to the people. This is as he fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. And also is written in the second psalm, you're my son, today I've begotten you. And so what Paul does there is he changes from a they, it's those people, and he connects it with their lives. He says, they misunderstood it, now that message is brought to you. And it's the exact same thing that we can tell ourselves, that they misunderstood it, that they misrepresented it. And so now, will you? What will you do with the same message of the gospel? Will you apply it correctly? Despite what culture says, will you stand firm on the message, or will you misapply it, misunderstood it, understand it? And that's what Paul's asking here of these Jews that he's speaking to. Will you now understand this message? It's the same message that's brought to you. And that's the same thing that we need to hear now. Is will we stand firm on the truth, the message of salvation in Christ that was given to us? Or are we, like so many others, going to hear that message and misunderstand it or misapply it in our lives? Because we have to remember that there is a plan. That, that God is working. And so often, that's so hard to see because life is crazy. You lose jobs. You lose family members. Tragedy strikes. All this happens. But we have to remember that God is still working. And we can look at history and see that God is orchestrating His plan exactly how He wants it. And so the question then becomes in your life, will you submit to that plan? Will you give your time, your energy, your efforts, your money, your resources to God's plan and fulfilling that to bring glory to His name? Because if we do that, that's a correct application of that message that we've been given because we're going to go to those people that would not be seen otherwise. We have to remember that God has a plan. And for life to go according to that plan, we have to submit ourselves to that plan. To realize that it's not us that uphold that, but it's Him. And what an amazing thing that the God of the universe allows us to be part of His plan to reaching the nation's realm. It's an amazing thing. That should, that should make you sit back and just kind of this awe of, I am so not worthy of that. Yet, He's called us to that. He has a plan. He's working. He has been working. And He will continue to work to His plan until He calls us home. What an amazing thing to realize that life isn't out of control. It's just in control of someone that can actually sustain it, which is not yourself. And now Paul switches into the next phase of this. So if we're going to submit our life to his plan, and if that plan's what's jumping out to you now, then it makes sense that, well, if I'm supposed to live my life according to that, how do we do that, right? That's always the question, well, how? Because then we see this next part as we realize that there's been a provision for that. Why can we do this? If you look at verse 36, we'll, stop at, we'll start in verse 36 and just read a couple so we get kind of a context. It says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, that means he died, and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. He's, he's referring to verse 35 there because the righteous one, Jesus, will not see corruption. Why? Because he raised him from the dead. In verse 38, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. 
And by Him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets shall come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm going to do a work in your days, a work that you would not believe, even if one tells you about it. And so when we look at this understanding that there now is not only a plan, but there's a provision for us to live that life. In verse 38, we see that. He says, let it be known, therefore. The therefore is critical because it connects what just came with what's about to happen. It connects the before with the after. And so what he's saying is, therefore, why? Because Christ has come. Because the resurrection, all that has come before. We then have, what? Forgiveness. And so all of a sudden we can live that life through the God's plan because He's provided us forgiveness. Because so often we get off track living our lives because we're trying to earn forgiveness for ourselves. We're trying to justify what we do. And so what Paul does in this, these few verses right here, he shows us how living, and he's showing them how living under the law doesn't get you what you need. But it was actually provided in Christ. That's what he says in verse 39. And by Him, in Christ, everyone who believes is freed from everything that which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. Namely, there's two things that we can look at in this. One is forgiveness. And that's really the truth of the Gospel. That forgiveness is found in Christ alone despite your sin. It's not found in the obedience to the law if we look at the original context. And for us, it's not found in just living a good moral life. It's in Christ alone. You can't gain that by your effort. That's what he's going back to the law. The law was do these certain things and it's good for life, but it doesn't free you from the need to gain forgiveness. It actually exposes the fact that you don't have it. And being a good person does the same thing. Because you can't sustain it. Right? The more and more you do, all you end up being is someone that compares yourself to others. That's not where forgiveness is found. It's found in Christ alone. And so we understand that the provision of forgiveness was found in Christ, not in our efforts, in our energy. Living your life according to God's plan doesn't bring you the forgiveness. It's already been provided for you. That's what frees you to live that life. And then ultimately, we also see he's talking about justification here. The, the salvation comes not from under the law, but in Christ alone. Because if we're going to be forgiven, we have to be justified. We have to be declared right in God's eye. And what that does is that calms your heart. That, that refreshes you and that calms you because now you understand that everything is fine in Christ. It's possible in Christ. That, that apart from being grafted into the body of Christ, we find ourselves lacking justification and forgiveness without a way to gain those needs been provided for us in Christ. And that's what Paul's pointing out. He's telling these people, these Jews, they're trying to live their life by the law to say, no, that in Christ everything's been given. And that's what we need to hear. We need to see that, that it doesn't matter how you live your life. If you don't go to Christ, you have nothing. That if you don't find your life in Christ, you don't have life. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are if you're found outside of Christ you're just as condemned as the worst person that you know. It's in Him. But see, we don't believe that, right? You don't believe that, right? If you're thinking about it in your mind, you're like, but 
is it really that easy, right? Because nothing's as good as it seems, right? There's always a spin in the marketing. There's always the fine print in the speed reader at the bottom, right? And that's what Paul, that's what, Paul gets that. He understands it. Look at verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest what is said to the prophets should come to you. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm going to do a work in your days, a work that you would not believe even if you're told. That's Habakkuk 1.5. And what Habakkuk was talking about there is that God was about to raise up the, the Chaldeans, these just terrible people. And God was going to use them to punish His people. And so that's why Habakkuk can say, you're not going to believe it. Because you're not going to believe it because why would God use terrible, despicable people for His gain? For His purpose? What's interesting there is we, we see this reversal happening in the story. Because if you go to Habakkuk, you have the Chaldean, the Gentiles were punishing the Jews. But then if you keep going and you keep looking at this, we, we realize that now Paul's going from the Jews to the Gentiles. And so what God is doing, he's, this is a reversal. We have the Gentiles that are going to attack and punish the Jews for God. And now you have the Jews being the springboard for the gospel going back to the Gentiles. It's an amazing thing that we wouldn't believe. right? Why would God use those people for that? We think about that all the time. That's something that we wrap around. Have you ever had anyone wrestling with understanding God's sovereignty? You wrestle with that. How can God use those people? How can God say that He raised Pharaoh up to be an object of His wrath? Because God is holding that plan. And he's giving that provision. And we would be amazed and not even believe it if we saw how he was going to accomplish that. We're just called to be faithful and understand that he's provided everything that's necessary. So that's why we proclaim the gospel. And that's why the gospel draws people in because it's can't, it can't be explained. Because when we proclaim the gospel truly, correctly, fully, and continually, it changes people's lives. Because it's not found anywhere else. Because nowhere else in the world says that just stay how you are. We'll accept you anyways. No one else does that. And we need to understand that that's a continual process. We can't somehow graduate from that idea. And that's what we see in verse 43. Verse 42 kind of gives you an idea of the gospel being drawn to. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. So he's saying, hey, next week we all come back and tell this. Tell us again. Right? And after that meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism, there's the Gentiles, followed Paul and Barnabas as they spoke with them, urged them to what? Continue in the grace of God. That last little phrase is what we need to understand. Continue in the grace of God. Because we have to continually find our identity, comfort, security, rest in Christ and the grace that He displays of God. And so repentance and submission to God's plan and provision continues throughout life. You're somehow not going to get to this point where you can just be okay. You always have to go back to that and understand that it's God's plan that we're living. It's God's plan that's being accomplished. And He's provided us forgiveness and justification and life to continue in that plan. And it always happens. 
until the day we die. We have to gain our life and comfort and identity in Christ. And as soon as you stop doing that, you never really had it because you're trying to find something that, that's not found anywhere else. And that's hard to do because we're told that it's weak to submit to someone else, right? We're, we're told that you can do whatever you want to and, and here the gospel says you can do nothing apart from Christ but submit to Him. And when we understand that and we realize that He has a plan and that He's given us the provision to live that life according to plan, we also realize that it's His power that accomplishes it. And it might seem, when I was writing this out, I'm like, do I really want to write that? Because it seems like the same point, right? Provision, His power, it's all the same. But it's different in the sense of how we relate to it. And look at verse 44. Look what happened. It says, continue in the grace of God. These people, they wanted them to come back the next Sunday. And look what happens the next Sabbath. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered. What an amazing thing, right? If only we would, and, and I, this is speaking to myself too, if only we would believe that the gospel could draw almost the entire city in one week. What an amazing revelation of God's power. When we see that, almost the whole city, we have to remember that it's not their power that drew them in. That it was the message that they were proclaiming. It was the gospel that drew those people in. It wasn't Paul, even as amazing of a speaker and a preacher that he was, it wasn't his power, it was God's power. Because when we forget that, we're not able to withstand what happens in the next few verses. Look in verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. What we see in that is that when the gospel starts drawing people in, when we start proclaiming the gospel of Christ, we start complaining it in a true and correct form, it divides people. And you notice here we have the same church people that he's been talking to all of a sudden are against him. Right? If we forget that it's not our power, but it's God's power, if we forget that it's His power drawing people in, giving us life, providing what we need, that's going to lead to arrogance and pride, and you're not going to be able to withstand the jealousy and the attacks that come from people. The only way that Paul can stand up, the only way that can Paul can then, as they say, shake off the dust in a few verses and go, the only way he can do that is because he understands that it's not his power that did it. Because if it's up to you and people contradict that, then you're hurt. Then you're offended. Then you lash out. Then you have to fight. But if it's God's power that's causing everything to happen, somehow you're secure in that. Okay that they contradict. You're going to preach the gospel anyways. That's why you see so many stories of people that have been martyred for their faith, calm, and okay with what's happening because they realize it's not their power. And I pray that we would be people that remember that. I pray that I would be a pastor that remembers that. That as we see people being drawn here, that we would somehow remember and constantly go back to the fact that it's His power that's doing this. Because as soon as it happens, there's going to be attacks. There's going to be people against you. And we've had that. We've had people that have left. In our early stages, they've said that you're not doing what you're supposed to And if it was up to me, that, that offends me and makes me mad. But when I realize it's God's power, then that's okay. They can go. I don't have to keep going. It's His power that sustains this. 
And then that gives you the ability to speak boldly, like it says in verse 46. How can they speak boldly? Because it's not their power. And what an amazing thing to, to tap into the power of the, the creator of the universe when, when attacks and jealousy come at you. That's why they can proclaim boldly. Why? Because it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Look at what they say. It was necessary that the Word of God be spoken to you first, since you thrust it aside and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. There's the, the complete reversal that we talked about when he's talking about Habakkuk 1. It says, now, it was supposed to happen to you. So now you understand that it was given to you first, but now you're, not, you're rejecting that message, so we're going to go out to those people that you said were unclean and unwilling. What an amazing, amazing example. And look at how it happens in verse 48. It just gets better. And when the Gentiles heard this, what did they do? They began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as them were appointed to eternal life believed. What an amazing thing. You see, can you imagine that? You see Paul standing up boldly, saying that it was, it was supposed to go to you first. Like this is what the plan was. That God had provided for you, continually rebelled against Him. And so what are we doing? We're going to take that news to the Gentiles. The people that you say can't be included, God has brought in. And those people said, Amen, right? That's what verse 48 is. They're like, Amen. Let's bring it to us. Because they understood what they had in Jesus. The power is not their own. They can speak boldly. And in verse 48, we see God's plan, provision, and power at work. The salvation of sinners through Christ Jesus. That's the power and the provision and plan at work. It wasn't what they said. It was the gospel doing the work. And we see that it was God's power that saved these people, right? Look at verse 48, it's pretty simple. As many as were appointed. The, the, the Greek word there is, is tasso. It's determine or designate. A, a good way, a phrase to understand what that meaning is, is to assign a particular task. And so when, when Paul says, and, and Luke records here, that as many as those were appointed to eternal life believe. So as many as God assigned to a particular task of eternal life were saved. It wasn't Paul that did that. Paul didn't determine those people. Why? Because he's not the creator. He's not the one that started this plan or provides everything to live this plan. It's God's power at work. And as many as who were determined, designated to eternal life. We're saved. What an amazing comfort to realize it's not us. I think about that all the time. I tell you all the time. And Lindsay probably gets the brunt of this because I always ask her about sermon stuff. Because if it was up to me, every I, I fell every time. But what an amazing thing to realize that the way we proclaim the message doesn't give it the power. That the way we speak to our neighbors isn't the powerful thing. It's God's power at work. And if we'll just understand that, we will see God do amazing things through His message, through His plan. It's His provision and power. Because see, when we look at this sermon at a, at a, at a whole, we realize that Paul understands the way God works. Paul understands that, that there's a plan. And what's cool, and when we look at this, we realize that every aspect of God's triune nature is visible in Paul's sermon. There's a plan. That's God the Father orchestrating this plan. But he realizes that there's something that we need. And so Paul talks about the provision of life. And we see that that's the Son because it's in Christ alone. 
But then there's the power, which is the Spirit within us. And that's what we see happening. And what, look at verse 49. And the Word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women and high-standing leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So when we proclaim the Gospel, the people around us don't understand it. And then look, but what they did, they shook the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the verse 52 is how we should live our lives. And this is where Paul understands that the Spirit's at work as well. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They understood it wasn't their power. They were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit because they understood that God the Father had a plan and that was to provide the Son so that we might have life. And so the, the question as we finish here today is that have you submitted your life to all three? To understanding that there is a plan. That God has set out the days of our life. That, that He's provided life to you through the Son. And that there's a power in that. Have you submitted yourself to all three aspects of that? Because you can't just pick and choose. It's all or nothing. That's why we, in a second, will sing the, the song that, that, that Jesus is better, right? Because that's the truth of the Gospel message, that everything that happens, Jesus is better. And the Word continually reminds us of that fact. And I just pray that we would be a people that submit our lives to that truth, that it doesn't matter what happens, that Jesus is better. Because when we realize that, we'll find ourselves in the middle of this eternal plan of God because He gave us life and power through His Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank You so much that, that, that life just isn't this random set of events and circumstances, that You have a plan God, that You've allowed us to live within that plan, that You allow us to, to live our lives according to Your plan, but free in that. God, I thank You for forgiveness and justification and, and all of these amazing gifts that You've provided for us through Your Son, Jesus, that in Him and His provision we might be adopted as sons and daughters into Your family to live with you. And God, I just pray that we would be a people that find our power and our joy and our hope 